please remain standing as we read our core scripture tonight. Okay, I'll be reading from John 12, 12 through 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. You guys can grab your seats. Thank you so much. Today is Palm Sunday, which is a little weird doing it at night, but that's okay. Uh, we're looking forward to Easter this coming week. As John shared with you, our team has been working, um, not only our staff team, but also our creative team to curate a really cool experience at the old chapel. I want to encourage you to come check it out. Uh, really excited for it. And uh, um, yeah, so come at any time during that out, during that time. Um, if you've got a younger family, you can come earlier. If you want to be there when it's even more moody, time it when the sun is heading on down. It makes it even more powerful experience of walking through the final hours of Jesus. So tonight we're, uh, we're going to take hold of the story of Jesus coming into Jerusalem where the crowds are going Hosanna, which basically means God save now. And I know over the last few years, many of us have found ourselves saying, God save now. Whether it was uh, killer bees or whatever, like there were many moments. And as I listen to the news, I'm like, God it's time. Like, you can come anytime you want. <laughs> this world is a challenging place to live. And as we kind of consider the idea that people, even when Jesus was coming the first time, people were calling out for rescue. But what Jesus did is he completely showed up and rescued in a different way. And over the last few weeks, we've been discussing about how Jesus has rescued us from sin, darkness, and death. How do we deal with the sin that we ourselves have committed, the sins that have been committed against us, the sins that have been committed in our presence, and tonight, the sins that have been committed by our people? It's really easy to be like the Jews in the uh, days of Jesus when he was walking into the city and, and laying down your garments and worshiping Jesus when you're convinced that he's come to rescue rescue you from them. But what about when he's coming to rescue us from ourselves? You see, this is truly the message of Jesus, that every human being is shot through with brokenness in and of ourselves, that there's inescapability to us being connected with sin in some way. You could think back a week, five minutes, or generations with your family to have some sort of a connection with brokenness. None of us on earth escape the associative connection with sin. Track it to Adam. Man, for as one man fell, so all men find themselves under the curse of death. And unless the new man, Jesus, came to uh, align us and to invite us into a new humanity where we have a different heritage, we're stuck with the heritage of brokenness. We're stuck with the heritage of our own family history. Uh, in high school, I was... Uh, 
very proud of my parents when they drove a 1965 sky blue Mustang V8. Oh, it was fun and beautiful. But I was less stoked about the connection. I mean, when my friends saw us driving up and getting dropped off to school in this Mustang, they were like, oh, wow. But when my parents traded in the Mustang for a 1982 Lincoln station wagon with the wood paneling, <laughs> like, and then I got dropped off in that, like the association was not as beneficial as it once was. And I don't know about you, but many of us, we probably have associations in our life that have been so helpful and beneficial to us. Maybe you've had a reference from a boss, someone that's been respected in society, or you've gotten a prestigious uh, degree from a college that is well accredited and well seen of, or maybe you come from a family that's known in this city as being one of the families to be connected with. But what happens if we're connected with things and organizations and people that don't actually benefit us socially? See, it's one thing to worship Jesus when everybody's thinking that he's going to be the, the answer to all of our problems. But it's another thing to worship a Jesus who's being crucified. That the association is devastating to us. So, as I said before, we've answered a few questions over the last few weeks. The first being, what do we do with what we have done? 1 John 1.9 tells us, if we confess our sins, Christ is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the same goes for, what do we do with what's been done to us? We are so invited to receive, not forgiveness for other people's sins, but cleansing to remove the residue and the knock-on brokenness that comes from being a human. And last week we talked about how Jesus modeled the day-in, day-out necessity that we are to be washed of the experience of just being in this broken world. That being around sin and brokenness it does something to the state of our soul. Not making us guilty, but rather making us in need of cleansing and refreshment. And so wherever you're coming from this evening, as we come to our last uh, sermon in a series leading up to Easter, remember that beautiful image of Jesus' willingness to interact with the bits of our lives that we would rather forget about that we would rather neglect or pretend aren't there. What if Jesus has more cleansing for us tonight? Last week, we were going to talk about this in conjunction with the sermon I actually preached, and I said, no, it's too much. I can't preach about all this, and so tonight we're focusing on what do we do with what our people have done. Okay, so some of you are going to wrestle with this tonight. I've wrestled with this this last week, and that is a good indication that we're touching on some space where there's some sensitivity. And so I encourage you that if instead of getting, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're sensing yourself kind of reacting, to stop and go, hey, am I reacting because this is false and untrue, or am I reacting because this is uncomfortable and it's pressing on part of my soul that needs to interact with Jesus? Okay? So, uh, it is my commitment to be straightforward and truthful in all of Scripture, even when it touches on things that are hard for me. 
You see, it's easy to preach hard when it comes to somebody else. But are we going to be recipients of God's grace through His Word tonight? That's the invitation tonight. I'll, I'll, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive right, right in. Father, we, we do, we want to have Your presence here with us. And so I pray that You will give us the conviction of Your abundant delight in us. That you will give us the foundation that says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you would give us a confidence that says that grace covers all sin and that sin is no longer the problem, Lord. Relationship is. And so, God, I pray that we will hold tight to you and your words. And that that will allow us to engage with things that fear would make us run from. I pray, Jesus, that your spirit would be at work among us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we do with what has been done by our people? Some of you are like, what do you mean my people? Right away you're going, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know what, you're, what you mean or what you're trying to group me with. Well, what I mean is, is this, is our people, our people we're associated with. The way we think about life is not the way the rest of the world through history has thought about life. We, we have a really modern Western version of individualism where it's us and ourselves alone, that I do what I want to do and it shouldn't affect anybody else outside of my own sphere. That is not a real way of viewing the world. You and I are connected with the people of our world. Call it your immediate family. You have an attachment to them. Call it uh, your people are those people who you choose, the few who you choose to walk through life with. You are a part of a people. It could be your choice of what church you attend. Or you could think about yourself as one of many Christians. That could be your people. Or a, a people group could be associated with your political motivations, whether conservatives or liberals. Whether you think of yourself as a part of the body of being Christians or even uh, 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 um, seekers or spiritually aware or are you associating more and fundamentally as your national identity? Are you an American? We? You see that identity, even the national identity becomes very significant not merely how it makes you feel but between uh, if, you're, if you were to ask a Russian or Ukrainian what people group they're a part of it's massively different in their minds especially when you come to terms with, okay, if, if we're associated with what our people do, it matters who we're a part of. You hear conversations around uh, ethnic identity, whether that's black culture or Latin culture or otherwise. People are a part of a community. So, as we look at this tonight, as I said, what are the key things that we would use to describe ourselves? What would we use to describe ourselves? Our family, our community, our religion, political leanings, or our functional identity? 
some of you, your people, you're like, yeah, I don't identify as a conservative nor a liberal. I don't identify as Christian anymore because it's scary and I don't like being associated with what other people think about with Christian. I don't associate with my family because they're embarrassing, right? We have all these different things, but maybe your identity is maybe formed around your uh, functional identity, like police officers. There's a brotherhood among police officers that regardless of what city you're in, you feel a connection with. And even my friend who's a firefighter, when we were down in uh, Cuba, he goes by the fire station because it's a, tra a tradition that you will offer up like a patch to a fire station and receive one back from them. So there's like trading cards for firefighters, I guess. Like we never grow up. <laughs> or you have a group identity with, uh, you know, your function as a mom of toddlers. You know what I mean? Like you guys have a look where you see each other and you're like, I see you. You see me. You don't know each other, but you both have a toddler that's terrifying everyone else in the room, right? And, and you're, a, you're a pack. You have each other's back. you got two toddlers' moms who are hanging out at your house, and, and you hear the silence of the uh, playroom, and you look at each other, and you're like, oh, no. But, but then you're like, well, maybe he's sleeping. And, and then you go to your friend. You're like, no, I'm going to go check. And so you creep down the hallway, and you slowly crack open the door, and you peek in with one eye. And to your horror, you don't see a child wistfully sleeping. He is, in fact, toddling without a diaper on, and there is a mess from floor to ceiling. Maybe there's somebody in the room who knows what I'm talking about. I don't know. But there is a sisterhood among the fellows who face the same challenges, right? And an association is so often so beautiful. Yeah, I'm a part of a great organization. I'm a part of this business, this company. And it's often a benefit. It's often something that will actually help. First point, know this, you are seen by God as part of a people, not merely as an individual. Not merely as an individual. As I said, this is typically a good thing. But what about when it's not? In 2002, Three, my wife and I began attending a church in, um, in Oregon. It was one of the most well-known churches around, massive. It, it, it's one of those places where you walked in, and this is mid-2000s, and so it was like attractional church, like the bigger the better, the flashier the not. You know, and you walk in, and I was like, oh, this feels good. I looked around, and I saw lives of people that on the outside, at least, looked like lives that I wanted to have. My wife is six months pregnant. We're walking in going like we're just starting life. This looks like a great place, great people. And lo and behold, we got very involved in this church, and they, they started to see and develop and disciple us and they sent us as missionaries to England and we came back and, and to my surprise they're like man we want to hire you as a pastor and I was like whoa I've always wanted to be a pastor and of all the I get to be a pastor here the social benefit of being a pastor of this church you went places and people knew you and you didn't know them you were esteemed. You could you would get special treatment. And I'm not saying that's right. It just felt great at the moment. 
And I remember walking and being a part of this church. It was a church that was known for theological strength, like just handling Scripture with such conviction and confidence and courage in the face of all things. I know this this, uh, church was uh, well-respected. There were um, government officials who attended, a lot of people who were known in society, they attended, and so everything about it was great. And I remember that even as Rachel and I started to pray and feel that the Lord was kind of shifting our hearts away from that kind of gathering in church. And we sense that the Lord is leading us away from this um, in, uh, in, in that year, 2016. No, excuse me, not 2016, 2014. I completed my, uh, um, my training to, to be um, ordained and walked away with an ordination paper from this amazing organization. And it wasn't uh, a couple years later that what we never knew but was there the whole time was underneath this strong, beautiful, mostly body of people, there was this underbelly of darkness. There was hidden brokenness. There was uh, conflict. There was cover-up. And only after it broke in the newspaper did we find out about it. We were there for over eight years. And all of a sudden, whenever somebody asked me, oh, you were a pastor in, in this city? I said, oh, yeah. And they said, what church? It was a much different question. It was a much different question. Because what was once a benefit to me was no longer. The association did something to me. Even though I didn't participate in the things that were happening that brought shame. The association has left me with this feeling in my gut. Do you know what I'm saying? What do we do? with what has been done by our people? It's a hard question. It's a hard question, and it's a question that has caused pain in the last few years. It's caused very stark contract or contrasting reactions to different issues. But whether we like it or not, we have associations. God does not merely see us as individuals in and of ourselves. What do we do with the history of injustices throughout time? What do we do in the recent history in the evangelical church of mistreatment of the LGBT community? What do we do with that? Regardless of the fact of how we hold Scripture and the traditional views of what it is to follow Jesus, what do we do with what has been done by those who we are associated with as Christians? What do we do with the spiritual abuse that's taken place in our own lives and in the churches that we've experienced and in the friendships that we've had? What do we do with the wrong that has been done? What do we do with the, the reality that, our, that the Christian community has the same rates of, uh, of 
marriages that fail as the world, what do we do with the, fa- with the pain and the fallout of brokenness? What do we do with our state's posture on the unborn? What do we do with the 65 million lives that were lost since 1973 to abortion in our nation by our people? What do we do? What do we do with the reality that racism continues in very overt and smaller ways around our country and around our homes. What do we do with the disintegration of the family? The millions of children who grow up without steady, consistent people in their lives. What do we do with the pain and the sorrow caused by the sins of our people? Second point is this. The people we are part of have done wrong. True? It's not a bait and switch. I know that some some of this language is making some of us, myself included, going like, walk carefully. Yeah? Okay? This is a real community. So what do we do with what our people have done? During this massively divisive season in the last few years, I saw this intriguing reaction that took place. And I promise this isn't some... um, uh, Yeah, I won't go there. In the the face of uh, primarily like racial tension, where there was there was a moment that called into the public view. We had to deal with some things that were uncomfortable, some things that were wrong, and we had to figure out a way to navigate it. And what I saw during that period of time was um, it was almost like Christianity didn't know how to respond. We kind of went like, okay, well, I'm not a racist. And so... I will do whatever it takes to not be seen as racist. I will post a black square. I will do whatever it is. I will make a poster. I will do whatever it is to not be seen as a racist. And I think this is where a lot of our our younger generation falls, is they don't want to be associated with the sins of a group of people. And it's where we fall. We don't want to be associated with racism or injustices, unkindness, any of it. But if we're just taking the cues from others, we're just going to be doing what has been asked of us instead of looking to the example of Jesus. You see, the other side of it was, okay, if you don't want to be seen as a racist, you do all this stuff, and then you, you post this thing, and then you, you, know, you get caught up in this complex world of confusion and all of it, and you're really just trying to go like, whoa, 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 I am not a villain. 
the other reaction was to go, whoa, I didn't do the injustice. Don't blame me. What are you coming at me for? It wasn't me. And so there's on both sides a distancing from the real pain that happens around the world. Nobody wanted to be associated with it, and uh, appropriately so. We saw people sever ties, break friendship, not speak to each other. Some of you have friendships that are no more because of how you walked that season out. I think it's very dangerous for people, let alone Christianity, to be making decisions out of fear as opposed to being confident that what Jesus says about us and leads us into is truly going to be the best way to walk. So there were two reactions, distancing through blame and distancing through avoidance. And what was troubling to me is, honestly, I didn't know how to react either. (laughs) I was just like, I want to show the love of Jesus in the middle of all of this. What does that look like? And I didn't know how to do it best either. I truly... What I'd like to to speak into tonight is um, either one of those, you kind of push yourself out of the limelight and you just avoid the tension of it. And I think any time that we kind of just try and step away from a situation and just bottle it up because it's too confusing... I don't want to deal with it. We find a way out of interacting with it and we just like store it away. That's fine. It's called compartmentalization. It's a survival mechanism. Um, But what Jesus is trying to do in our life is he's not actually trying to cultivate your survival. He's actually trying to cultivate your thriving. He's trying to expose the places of discomfort, confusion, and uncertainty. The places that have been marred and and have left you feeling uncomfortable and tense and unsure. He wants wants you to actually believe that he is going to be good news even to the places where you're not even sure how to walk this thing out. You just want him there. And so tonight, I'm going to encourage you. There may be some things in your family history. I've got an uncle who is in prison for some pretty terrible things. I hate that he's my uncle. If I could choose, he wouldn't be. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have things that your family has done that you wish you weren't known for? Isn't it just nice to forget about it? Nope. Not me. We've got these things, but is this really living in fullness to do that? What I saw and what broke my heart was that gospel-believing people 
We're more focused on being innocent than showing empathy. We were afraid of guilt. There's a fear and a drastic drive to avoid guilt. And so I'm just going to posit a different way of approaching history, our lives, where we become comfortable in God's presence, comfortable with who we are, instead of shifting sin and avoiding guilt to excuse ourselves from the conversation, I'm going to invite us to actually follow in the path of Jesus who actually engaged with the sins of his people in a way that was powerful, redemptive, and different. He engaged in a way that he didn't allow it to become identity forming and he engaged with it in a way that didn't skirt away from it and avoid the pain of having to deal with it follow me in this this is beautiful before we do I want to make clear okay just to make it clear theologically you are not individually accountable for the sins of others before God period you are not. Ezekiel 18.20 says this, The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. God is just. And so when your internals are screaming against this tension of like, uh, no, individualism works for me because I can divorce myself from that thing and I can just be me. Because to be honest, being me with my own sin is hard enough. Amen? (laughs) But Jesus is like, listen, no, 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 hold on. I see you and I am just towards you. So what we're talking about tonight is probably not forgiveness. It's talking about wholeness. It's talking about refreshment that can come to these areas that can clean up the weirdness and awkwardness and the residue left so that we're not living with all these sealed bottles. Instead, we are living in the abundant life of Jesus. Third point, we are each seen in some way associated with the sins of our people. In some way. Daniel 9 is a good illustration of this. Daniel prays, uh, Daniel 9, 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commands and rules. All of Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside and refused to obey your voice. Nehemiah, like him, said, let, all, let your ear be attentive to and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. 
the question, what do we do with what our people have done, is so integrated with our ability to rectify our lives. God is calling us to wholeness, therefore, for us to have fragmented bits of history and confusion, and all of that is not part of your wholeness. When God created the earth, he created you for a sense of self-unification, where you have been resolved to yourself, others, and God. In these areas where we are unresolved within ourselves, it's bits of us that are just untended and unbrought together. So, my question is this. If Jesus would have acted how many of us are tempted to respond to the sins of our people or the sins of association, what would the crucifixion have looked like? If Jesus would have been unwilling to be associated with his people who had sinned, who had deserved death and crucifixion and shame, what if Jesus was like, I didn't do it. It's not on me. Or me at a restaurant, and a kid is screaming. I'm like, it's not my kid. What if God was like that? Like, I'm just going to separate a little bit from you. What if Jesus in the garden, and he's going, uh, uh, you know, he, he's in the garden of, of Gethsemane, and he's, he has already been approached by the guard, and, and Jesus, uh, he's sitting there, and Malchus gets his ear cut off, and he's like, yeah, Peter, that's right. I'm not guilty. You know, get the other ear too. That's not what Jesus did. What if Jesus, when he's praying to the Father, saying, God, not your will, but my, or not my will, but yours be done. He, there's an honesty there of wrestling. There's an honesty of interacting with the weight of what he's about to go into, yet he doesn't back away from it. He doesn't skip out when it got painful. When it got costly, he stayed. How powerful is that statement for some of us in this room? When things got costly because of his people, he stayed. When things got costly because of his family, he stayed. Halfway through, he didn't say, this wasn't what I was expecting. He, he said he saved others. Well, save yourself, Jesus. Come on down. You're right. This is terrible. <laughs> oh, Jesus, he embraced the pain of the cross. He allowed it to impact his full person. He chose not to be shame avoidant or guilt avoidant. He chose not to vindicate himself. He chose not to drop to his knees when Pilate, this influential person who could have set him free, he could have been like, no, no, listen, I'm trying to be brave in front of them, but please don't let me die. He didn't do it. He remained silent as a sheep before the shears is silent. So he didn't utter a word. He didn't try and distance himself from the cost of what his people had done. Yeah, man, this is, this is tough for us. 
we don't want to be associated, much like Jesus didn't want to be associated with the Pharisees, we don't want to be associated with bigoted Christians. We don't want to be associated with the images that do not correspond. And so this push is so human to us. And recognize this, Jesus, fully human, wrestled with being associated with the cost of my sin and yours. Not only was he able and willing to embrace the cost of our shame and sin, he was characterized by the worst of me. And he was characterized by the worst of you. He bore the weight of costly association when he took on our human form in order that he may give us a greater heritage. We're told in 1 Corinthians that for our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin that we may become his righteousness. We're told in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he was, has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And it is with his wounds that we are healed. So there is the cost of the cross that Jesus took on, and there is the shame of association that he suffered. People thought that he was a sinner, deserving of the hatred, vitriol, and mockery. And and there he sat because of his association with me. What changed everything for me was Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is where we're going to find the gospel power this evening. We're told this in an effort to encourage us to be steadfast, faithful, not fading in our determination to live the life of Christ on earth. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. How so? We are to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, which is he knew the outcome of his suffering. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, the cost of being associated with his people. It cost him. I did a little word study on on these two uh, Greek words. The word endure, the endurance of the cross. Jesus interacted with the cross in one way. We're told he endured it. This word actually means to stay or to stay behind. Or rather, when others would leave or have left, you stay. Jesus endured the cost of our sin, the sins of his people. 
He felt it fully. When it started to press down on him, the weight of the cross even, he didn't scoot aside and allow it to fall to the ground. It's too hard. He felt the weight of our sin and toxic behavior. Secondly, it means to hold out like he bore up the weight of the people's sin. He stayed up under it. He felt the weight of what we have done. And thirdly, it's a waiting. Endurance is is waiting for the course of what is to be complete. He didn't skip out before it was done. He shouldered the weight. It is a positive action, this word, endurance. It's he intentionally went in to hold the weight of what we have done. Not incidental. The second word is he despised. So he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Now, I love this, to be honest. Because Jesus, I don't think of him as being someone who like despises stuff. Like, nah. But what did he despise? He disposed the ridicule and shame that was being lumped and hurled at him. He was like, ah, no, I don't want that. I don't like that. It's not right. He had a visceral reaction when some people were assessing or uh, attributing to him guilt, shame that was not his own. And you and I have that same reaction. When others come to us and say, it is your fault. You are the ones who have done wrong. You are wrong because of the association that we have. Jesus, because of the association he had with the sins of his people, he rejected the uh, reality of their shame that they were pouring upon him. This is the same idea found earlier on in Hebrews. Uh, This verse is not on the screen, um, but it is Hebrews 2.10. For it was written that he for whom and by whom all things existed, this is Jesus, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. That for he who sanctifies and he who sanctified all who is sanctified all have one source. There is a unity there. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Paul to Timothy says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord Jesus, nor of me, uh, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There is this element where we can reject the weight of incrimination when something that is due to us because of association rather than our own hands and choice, it no longer belongs to us. We can reject the shame, despise the shame, set it aside, treat it as is nothing. Because that's what Jesus did with the untruthful 
shame hurled at him. What this allows Jesus to do is simply to say, I will hold the weight of what has happened and what has been caused by my people, yet the shame, not mine to carry. Yes, I'll pay the price or I'll I'll feel the weight. I will be present with my heart, but the condemnation, not mine. Culpability, nope. Because instead of distancing himself, he said, I will hold the pain of the cost because of the sins of my people. I will hold the pain. I will endure the cost of their sin. But I will not hold the condemnation and guilt personally for their actions. You see, what this does, it allows uh, us to engage in what Jesus himself calls is a space of blessedness, a doorway to be able to drink in the glory of God, where in, Math- in Mark, sorry, Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. You see, we're able to mourn and are called to mourn for the injustices in the world. We cannot let our our desire to be seen as innocent and separate from and not associated with become the main agenda of our lives. Instead, we are called to step into that moment and allow the confusion of the world and to go, yep, that's what my family has done. That's true. Personally, I mourn for the effect of my family's sin. It breaks my heart. And I hate to see the cost to others. And what I need is not forgiveness from God, but I need God to bring healing, refreshment to my soul. And this is what John speaks of in 1 John 1, 9. That if we confess our sins, this is included in that. Done to us, by us, in our presence, and by our people. To God, He is just to forgive anything that requires it. And to cleanse us anew from all the rest of the incidental junk of association so that we truly can be present and not hard-hearted in the face of brokenness. Because it's really hard to be compassionate when we're trying to distance ourselves from being guilty. It's hard to be soft-hearted and at the same time being like, nope, not me. It's like, okay, I can deal with God in my inner person, but most importantly, I want to be present and show up in love in this circumstance. The next point this evening is this, and we're coming to our time of worship, but these couple of pieces, what do we do with what has been done by our people? The first thing I'll say is this. Following the pattern of Jesus 
if we are somehow associated with something wrong that we don't like. We are called and invited into endure the cost of caring. Do you know what I'm saying by that? I'm going to care about what has happened to others. Because guilty, innocent, it matters to the heart of God if people are hurting. It matters to God if the sins of somebody, anybody, have caused pain. And he's trying to birth in the community of Jesus a people who are soft-hearted, who are more determined to be present with our hearts than to try and vindicate ourselves. In fact, Jesus, he's going to call you to love some people. And just for loving them, just for being in their life, it will cost you. People will assume things about you. And if you stay, it'll hurt. So we endure the cost of caring for others. And we hold the weight of what sin has caused. It's important. This is how we continue to be human. And not harden our hearts to others. Secondly, we reject full stop the shame of association. It's not ours to carry. We are called to mourn and care. And what this looks like is we discard the shame that isn't ours and we take hope that Jesus truly is the one who models for us the endurance of the cost of the cross, who rejected the shame that didn't belong to him, who stayed when it could have been easier to distance himself from us. And now we are invited as we interact with the world around us to do it in a different way than what has been so natural to us in the last seasons of this broken world. Instead of pushing away and trying to isolate ourselves from the pain and engagement and the entanglement, we fearlessly say sin is no longer king in my life. It has been conquered by Jesus. Therefore, if somehow I've done wrong, Jesus, take care of it. And allow me not to live in fear. Instead of living in fear, we choose to see others. Little ones. Big ones. Grown ones. People who look different than us. People who have had different histories than us. People who have suffered uh, unintentionally in our society. People who have been uh, injured and hurt people who have had a harder life than us. We are called to see them and go, I'm not going to look past you because you're too complicated. You're called to be present to them and hear. Hear the stories that we may have missed because our experience has been different. It's to sit with them and go, tell me about what it has cost you to have this happen to your people. That's hard. That messes with my internal. I don't like to feel sad. I like to watch Netflix. 
But what is it to model Jesus who stayed? He didn't just passively stay. He he got in there to experience the cost of the sins of humanity. There was something valuable to Jesus to feel it. What I'm calling you to is heartbreak. What I'm calling you to is sorrow. What I'm calling you to is being a person who is familiar with grief because grief is the most common experience on earth and Jesus was called a man who was familiar with grief. If you want a church that you don't have to deal with the pain of others, there are a lot of other churches that do not want to talk about pain, sadness, and sorrow. This is not one. Our church cares about the sorrows that we are all carrying and we say this is a safe place for you to unbottle the stuff that's hard and and stuff that you don't know how to deal with it's okay to bring that here because you are not what your family has done nor are you what you have done nor are you what has been done against you or in your presence you are a child of God And this life is the process of God through His Spirit and the community of Christ shaking off the residue of brokenness as you are blossomed into the person you will be for all of eternity, shining bright in the glory of Jesus. That's what I'm calling you to. Where we see and we hear, we listen and we allow the stories and the sorrow to weigh in our spirit and our soul. We allow the stories of others to matter to us. We want to care for each other. And in allowing the cares of others to impact us, Jesus says, to love me is to live out a life that I desire. Well, to love God is to put into practice what he has put into our souls. So, we are able to live lives where we can engage and stay when others will leave where we can trust in the grace of Jesus to cover a multitude of sins, confusion, and residue, where we trust that Jesus truly will be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, I leave you with this. Together, I encourage us as we disown and disavow the destructive poison of sin in the world. Inviting the removal and cleansing work of the Spirit who alone knows the butterfly effect of sins. We invite God to renew our allegiance to Jesus as we commit ourselves to Him. We, we intend to celebrate our belonging in the heritage of God who has removed us from this broken humanity with a messed up history and made us his children and made us part of his heritage. 
So, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. My hope tonight, as we take a couple minutes to just think, is, and maybe during the course of our our talk tonight, there have been some things that you haven't quite known what to do, and, and I'm sorry, this is a painful thing. There may be things that others have associated with you if you were to that you don't like. That's not your fault. And you haven't known what to do with that. You just try and hide it or avoid it. I'm not asking you to tell everybody the stuff that you're ashamed of. What I'm asking you to do is to invite Jesus into the place of your history and ask him to put his imprints on it. And just be brave and say, Jesus, what would it feel like for you to wash me, cleanse me? Is there any necessity for me to hold the weight of pain anywhere? To grieve it, to confess it, okay, this happened. And then allow God to actually wash, renew, refresh. Be a number of things, and I'll walk through a few of them as I invite you to just meditate and invite the Spirit to bring to light anything that would be helpful for you to just bring before God and invite new life where there's marks of death. So I'll ask you to just bow your heads and we're going to enter into a time of meditation. As last week, um, we have a prayer space just past these chairs over here where myself and Kathy will be prepared to pray with you during the back end of worship to help you process anything. But as you bow your heads, uh, and before you take communion, just meditate on these things. Spirit, we just ask you to be here among us as we think through some, some places, Lord, believing that you want to do a work of setting us free from some family history, some historic connection. I pray, God, that right now you would separate memories from shame. I pray, Jesus, that even through your spirit, you would bring to mind things that we hate being associated with. you even where you're at to just in your heart tell God I hate that particularly if there's sin God I 
love what is good and I hate what is evil. That was evil and I hate it. invite us to in Hebrews 12 that says cast off everything God, big, little close and distant that would hold us back from running in you and so God during the season of Lent we just pour out the darkness and we invite your cleansing because we know God that Easter is coming life, new hope, restoration, Lord God. We just invite it now to take over and to blossom in these places that have previously been covered or bottled or abandoned. Thank you, Lord God, that you care for our hearts and our souls. And we invite you, Lord God, to in deeply our worship as we remember your body broken and your blood shed for us that takes away the sins of the world in Jesus name